0: Good morning. How are y'all this morning? We're going to get started. Um, the only announcement I have is for Kim. If you are in the Attributes of God class, they're going to be right over here in Jonathan Todd's classroom. So, for those of you that are doing that, I think there's about twenty of you that are doing that. Um, right in there. Uh, <clears throat> let me just say that I think this is true for everyone that gets up here and teaches. This is really a really fun thing that we do a really exciting thing we learn so much but i know for at least for me it, it's just it's kind of scary at the same time i'm always worried that i'm going to i want to be very careful about what i say and i want the truth to really be spoken i think everyone that gets up here feels um the same way that i do about that so um pray pray for me pray for everybody that gets up here and and speaks to you um, pray for Jimmy. Pray for the people that teach Sunday school, um, because it is um, it's a it's a huge responsibility, and um, we want to make sure that we are are giving it what we should. So let's pray. Father in heaven, um, your word is just pierces to the heart, and we found this so true in Hebrews one. Um, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being clear to us about who Jesus is. Um, I ask that the truth would be spoken and received here today. I ask that you be with me to calm my nerves. And, um, and Lord, I ask that you be with the women in this room, that they would have hearts, hearts to hear the truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Augustine said... The new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And I think we're going to find this to be very true as we study Hebrews today, especially on the hills of Leviticus. Um, Last week, Sue did such a great job introducing Hebrews to us. And one of the things that she talked about was the audience to whom Hebrews was written. And I want us to do a kind of little quick refresh on that. Um, because while this particular chapter didn't have a whole lot of hard sayings in it, we're going to get to some information in the future that is going to be hard if you do not really grasp this thought. The first thing, which is pretty clear, is that the Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that that were formerly Jews. But there is something else that Sue taught, and I want us to think about it for a minute. Have you ever heard the terms the visible or the invisible church? Well, I know I've heard that term, and, and before I actually took the time to look it up, I was like, oh, the visible, the invisible church. But let me explain to you what that is. The visible church, uh, Grace Avan is a visible church, and in Grace Avan, the people that come here, some are true believers. In Jesus Christ. Some are not. Now, some of these people that are unbelievers may even believe that they're believers. They profess Christ with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Now, um, I There's some You can look and research this. I wish y'all would take the time to look at it. In the parable of the sower, you can find it in Matthew 3, Mark 7, and Luke 8. And if you would take the time to uh, read about the parable of the sower, this may make a little more sense to you. Um, R.C. Sproul has a wonderful sermon on it at Ligonier.com. You can just uh, put in the search engine uh, parable of the sower and listen to what he has to say about it. So I want you to understand that. But they're also true believers in the church. And these are the people that don't just profess Christ, they possess Christ. Their hearts have been radically changed. In fact, they have been given new hearts. This is the invisible church, or some people call it the church universal. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to the visible church. These are believers and unbelievers that are together in this big group. And this group of people had been through quite a bit. Um, they were disheartened, and they were discouraged. Um, sometimes I think about, uh, have you ever done something because everyone else was doing it? Or have you ever seen a, a mob, a crowd, they, somebody's really angry about something, and they just it just people just start getting into it, and they don't even really know why they're a part of it. It's just they've gotten swept into it. And I wonder if maybe a little of this, maybe what's going on here in Hebrews, that these there's some disheartening among everybody, but these unbelievers that are, don't have Jesus in their heart, they are kind of getting the crowd kind of stirred up a little bit. Now, I don't know for sure that's what happened, but I'm, I'm suspecting that that might have been a little bit what's going on. But whatever the case, they needed to be revived. They needed God to revive them. Now, we all know this story too well. Um, in the beginning of a relationship, it's all sunshine and rainbows, but life and time have a way of dulling our affections. All our relationships require work to be successful and enjoyable, <clears throat> but, but this time and trials have a way of dulling us. Um, Think about some of your own relationships. You meet the sweetest friend, and you talk, and you text, and you go to lunch, and you may even take trips together. But over time, that's, that kind of dies down. You're like, Meh, I mean, you know, I love her, but whatever. <laughs> for those of you, y'all know what I'm talking about. You all have friends like that. Um, uh, for those of you who have kids... We bring home that sweet little baby that smells so good, but a lack of sleep and constant feedings and hormone fluctuations, and in the later years, toddlerhood, and even later, teenagers, and even later, trying to be the parent of an adult child can take its toll on your relationship with your kids. For those of you who have ever been in love, you know how this goes. You wanted to spend every minute together. Nothing was too bull, dull or boring. It was a really, I do anything for you mentality. When my husband and I were dating, I don't have very good depth perception. So for me to play a sport like tennis or golf is pretty impossible um, because I just miss the ball, my- You know, (laughs) I swing a golf club and it's not anywhere near the ball. But my husband loved to play golf. And we were in Waco, Texas, went to Baylor University. And um, it would be like 112 degrees. And we were so poor, we didn't have money to rent a cart. But I, just because I wanted to be with him, walked with him on the golf course just to spend time with him in the 112 degree weather. But time has marched on. We've been through trials. We've been through kids and grandkids and everything else. And we're lucky to get 10 minutes of conversation together before we crash into bed at night. And I think this scenario is also true with our relationship with the Lord. In the beginning, we are all so careful to read our Bibles, to be active in our church communities, to pray, to do your devos. But trials and sufferings come our way, and our affection to God dulls. And these sufferings can cause us to be apathetic or bitter, or they can cause us to hold tight to the one true Lord. Trials will either plunge us into hopeless despair or cause us to hope in the one who bears our burdens and holds all things together. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4 that we are not to be surprised by these trials and sufferings. Um, They're meant to test us, and they're normal. So when you're in a trial and a suffering, it's normal. That's what what happens to believers. We shouldn't be surprised. But Christ also says, come, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if anyone is thirsty, come, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. So the preacher, thanks, Sue, I'm going to borrow that, is urging them to persevere. He is saying, do you really want to go back to Judaism Do you really want to go back to any other way? Remember that way? You know, the one with demands you couldn't meet and a curse you couldn't bear? You have Christ. Galatians tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You have Christ who is above all things. I'm going to read Colossians 1:15 through I can't remember what it is now and you read part of this if you did the cross references you read part of this but I really want you to take this into your heart and mind today and this is really a companion passage to this to Hebrews 1 he Christ has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins he is the image of that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of this is for you to possess. This is what he's saying to these, these Hebrews. Do you really want to go back? I can't help but think about the Israelites when they've just been um, delivered from their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Um, You're going to remember this story. I'm going to tell you in a very brief way. God sent Moses, and then he sent the plagues, and then God passed over them instead of killing their firstborn. Then he led them out of Egypt, and then he appeared to them by pillars of cloud and fire to guide them. And then he parted the Red Sea so they could safely cross, but then he allowed it to flow freely so all of Pharaoh's soldiers would drown. And then he even provided water for them when they were thirsty. Now, after the Lord God Almighty had done all of these things, they got hungry, and they were afraid they were going to starve. So what did they do? They begged to go back to Egypt, you know, because it was so great there. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And I think, isn't that just like us? We always think the grass is greener. When life gets difficult, we think maybe, maybe if we just went back to our old ways, our old beliefs, our old worldview, well, maybe everything would just be sunshine and rainbows. We become so concerned about our physical and emotional being that we put our our spiritual life in jeopardy, and we have it backwards. If we were more diligent with our spiritual health, we would be way less concerned about the other aspects of our life because, guess what, we would know deep in our hearts that the all-knowing, all-powerful, King of King, Lord of Lords was in complete control of our lives. We need to preach this to ourselves every day because if we did, I'm going to date myself here, we would not be like the urban cowboy and go looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, Google it. <laughs> so God in his faithfulness sends us this letter, and it does, it does go straight to the heart. He says, I have spoken to you in many ways in the past, but now I'm speaking to you through my son. This holy, most powerful, sovereign God is speaking to us. And as um, Sue pointed out, that is pretty glorious. So who is this son? He is God. He is the creator of the world, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Not too long ago, one of my grandsons was practicing the catechism with his mom. Who made you, God? Why did God make you? For his own glory. Mom, what is God's glory? Crickets. Hmm. I, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. My phone rings. Mom, what? What is God's glory? Crickets. Hmm. I'm not sure. Let me think about it. So I have. And let me add as a side note here that the deep things of God do not come to us easily. We must do more than our checklist of Bible reading and praying, etc. If we want to know in our hearts the profound things of God, we have to get out of the shallows and dive into the deep. Sinclair Ferguson says, We are to work at Bible study. The scriptures do not disclose their riches to lazy hearts and minds. I say this as a reminder to us all because I've read about the glory, about the glory of God about a million times. It's mentioned more than 500 times in the Bible in all of its forms but to be honest when asked the question what is the glory of god i didn't have an answer it was just one of those things i read right past i would just think oh yeah the glory of god it took my 4 year old grandson asking the question mom what is god's glory for me to give it further consideration now i feel like even if i could write a book on it i would i would it would barely scratch the surface In the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, he writes about all that Christ has done. And he says that if all the things were written one by one, he supposed that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. And I think that's true about the glory of God too. So this brief explanation that I'm offering you really isn't going to do it justice. And I encourage us all to study this further. We all know that God is holy, holy, holy. Many, many of us have memorized this verse in Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But do we know the second part of that? The second part of, this, of it is the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory is his holiness made ineradicably evident. His infinite beauty Majesty, perfection are all on display. The Psalms tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the supreme declaration of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. God incarnate. Emmanuel, God with us. So that is the magnificent, glorious description of who Jesus is. I'm going to talk a little bit about what he does here in Hebrews. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The one who created the world, the one who has no beginning and no end, is the one who sustains it. One word spoken, one word not spoken, and the world would cease to exist. Our very existence depends on Christ. Our, every breath, every molecule, the weather, every joy, every sorrow is in his hands. And there is none more powerful, none kinder or smarter. He is wiser than Solomon, greater than Abraham, Moses or David. And there is not an IQ test in the world that could begin to measure his intelligence. That is who your sustainer is. When one of my daughters was about 21, she came to me and she asked me if she could do something. I don't remember what it was. But whatever it was, I was like, I don't think so. That doesn't sound good. I don't think so. And um, she replied to me that now that she was an adult, she could do anything that she pleased. And I said, "Hmm, okay, that's fine. Um, But remember, your dad and I own your car. We pay your phone bill and your tuition and your insurance. We buy your clothes. So you go ahead. You go ahead and do whatever it is you want to. But remember, now you get to do all those things that we did. Um, We'll get the car and the phone, and you can pay your rent and tuition. And because we're so nice, you can keep all your clothes. But um, anything, anything new is on you. Needless to say... That that was, um, that realization was a big wake-up call to her. Her existence as she knew it depended on her dad and I. Our existence, whether we acknowledge it or not, depends on Christ. And I find this both supremely comforting and terrifying at the same time. Okay, let's look at one more thing he does. He makes purification for sins. Sin. Mm. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of What? The glory of God. It also tells us that through one man, sin entered the world, through Adam. We sin because we are sinners. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It pervades us. Sin pervades us. We are gross and filthy. And as a result, God is very, very, very angry about it. I don't think we make enough about that these days. Um, It's all about God is love. God is love, but God is holy, and he hates sin. And yet this holy God desires to dwell with us. Those of you who've studied Leviticus will remember all all the things the priests had to do to make atonement for sin. I mean, it was a big bloody mess all day long, day in and day out. It never ended. It was incessant. But now, now Christ, now the perfect lamb was made the sacrifice by the shedding of his own blood for his own people. The atoning, purifying work of Christ was accomplished by his life and death. And it is finished, he cried on the cross. He had left his position in heaven to be our lamb without blemish. The king became the servant. He who knew no sin, there was never an unkindness or lie or malicious thought about him. He never had to make excuses for his bad behavior. He didn't have any. The perfect lamb was the perfect lamb because he lived perfectly. And though he had no sins to atone for himself, he, in all of his glory, became the sin bearer for us, the just became the justifier, and after all of this was accomplished, once and for all, never again, he sat right down at the majesty on high. When Jimmy preached on Hebrews 1, and this has been uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and believe me, I didn't remember it. I had to go back and listen to it. Um, there was no place for priests to sit in the tabernacle. He talked about how there was no place for a priest to sit in the tabernacle or temple because their work was never finished, And there is no place in Scripture where angels sit. In fact, in Hebrews, it is written that God never said to any one of the angels, sit at my right hand. Um, In Revelation, we find angels standing around the throne and bowing to God, but never sitting. There is only one worthy to sit down at the right hand of God, and that is Christ. He is the final authority, the final say. Remember the comes I talked to you about earlier? come if you're weary or come if you're thirsty? Well, here's one more. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And honestly, I can't think of anything more beautiful than that. Let's pray. Father, the King of kings, immortal, holy, invisible, Father, we give you the glory and honor forever and ever. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are so clear about who Christ is and what he has done. And may this pierce our hearts and cause us to go out and live in a way that would be pleasing to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.